all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today is a very special day as I am going to be interviewing my sensei, the guy who taught me everything I know in venture capital, uh, formerly managing director of Canal Partners, and now managing director of Brookstone Ventures. Todd Belfer. Todd, how are you? Do I have to say something? Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Very nice introduction. Glad to be on. I had a bet with my wife that I was never going to be invited on this podcast. So she lost, I lost the bet. Mm, Okay. Yeah. yeah. So how much much is there? uh, I have to clean the house for a week and do the dishes. So I don't know when that'll be, but I got to clean the house for a week and do the dishes and... I said, I'm never going on that podcast. And she goes, oh yeah, he just, you know, he's just, he's, he's busy. He's, he'll get to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no faith. Now I got to invite you on my podcast. <laughs> there's no, there's no fucking way I'm going on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of tears on my podcast. Yeah. Not because I wouldn't want to go on your podcast, but just based on the, what you talk about on your podcast. Yeah, my podcast is about relationships. <laughs> it's about, all about personal relationships. Parents, siblings, wife, friends, business partners. Are you really pumping your podcast on my podcast? (laughs) (laughs) The laundry list. (laughs) Motherfuckers pumping his own, his own podcast on my podcast. It's unbelievable. Stay tuned. Todd, tell me about yourself and tell me about your foray into the investing world specifically because I know you spent a little time as an operator and then you went into the investing world and just tell me how that, how that process started. Graduated college, 1989, uh, worked for a public REIT for about a minute and realized I can't work for anybody else. I can't take direction and sit still. So I just started some companies right out of the gate, right out of college, not even legal. I wasn't even legal to drink. I was like 20 years old and I started a couple companies um, and made a living. One was called Preferred Tax Liens, where I syndicated uh, doctors and attorneys and bought property tax liens from the state of Arizona and earned 16% of my money and distributed 12 and a half to my investors. And I kept the rest as fees and did that for a couple of years. Uh, while I was doing that, my dad and I started a payroll HR company called Employee Solutions. For those of you who've been around the Valley for a long time, it was kind of a high flying company for a long time, kind of went from zero to 200 million in revenue in five years, went public and, uh, got out of that company in 1996, um, sold all my stock. It was public and just became an angel investor and just started uh, investing in all types of different companies. And in the meantime, I still 
co-founded other companies. I co-founded Raw Sushi with my good friend Scott Kilpatrick and Rich Howland. Um, did NetTime Solutions with Hamid and Behan. Um, so, you know, not just a funding source, but also sort of coming up with the idea and creating the company as well. So really early um, and did that for, oh, from 1996, probably until I started Canal Partners in 2008. Um, just really more of a uh, angel investor slash operator uh, at times. So, and you know, what I found is I hated operating businesses. I was never good at it. I don't like it. I don't like managing people. I don't like hiring people. I don't like firing people. Um, I think I'm too nice of a guy. So, and I'm just, that's not my skill set. So I just, you know, quickly realized after being an operator in probably a half dozen companies, I was an operator in a company called MD Labs, a nutritional supplement company. Uh, employee solutions. I had my own business at preferred tax liens and, uh, you know, sort of in, in, on the board level, uh, of some of the other companies, but what I, I definitely knew I didn't want to operate. So my goal at that point was to go out and find guys, um, got, find people that I could back and give them growth capital, build a board, try to bring some sense to the madness at an early stage. And this is way before venture capital got going. I mean, this is 98, 99, 2000, 2001. You know, I had a couple guys trying to throw me money to start my own company. And I remember in 1999, uh, some friends of mine gave me a million dollars and they're like, here, you're going to be CEO and chairman of a new company. It's called stockbrokersclub.com. I'm like, okay, um, what are we going to be doing? And they're like, you're going to be like the raging bull, which was a big messaging board system, like the stock twits, you know, this is, you're going to be like the stock twits of the crazy internet bubble that's going on. So they put a million bucks in the account and I'm CEO and I'm literally not sleeping at night. Cause I'm like, I don't know how the hell I'm going to make this work. Like, I mean, I don't know the model. Is it an ad model? Is it, you charge a premium service? Like I, you know, it's like the stock twits model of today. Like I didn't know how it worked. So I, after losing too much sleep and having so much anxiety, I'm like, okay, I'm giving you back the million bucks and I'm not doing this because it's I'm making me extremely uncomfortable. So then I realized my days of being a founder CEO is definitely over. Like that was it. Like that, that, that stockbrokersclub.com was, was the final, you know, pin in the tail. So that was it. So you discovered early in your, um, I would say professional career outside the REIT that you had a gift and that was the ability to look at a dentist or a lawyer or a high net worth individual and get them to give you money, which I think bar none, especially in, in the Phoenix area, there's no one better than you, except for maybe Jeff Pruitt. But, <laughs> <laughs> but tell me exactly um, what, is, what, what is that? Like, how do you get that skill? Is that something that you just felt like um, you were born with? Did that, was that a skill that you had earlier in your life that, you, that transferred? How did you get the, um, uh, that, that courage? I don't think it came supernatural for me. I remember back in the preferred tax lien days going to meet with uh, attorneys, uh, physicians, professionals, trying to give me, trying to get them to give me money, you know, give me $50,000 to put in this syndication. And I didn't know what I was talking about. I couldn't answer 50% of the questions they asked me. I was usually drenched in sweat in the meetings. And 
I, it was uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. So I tried to figure out how can I get more comfortable doing this? And one of the things is just keep doing it. You know, mm-hmm. Just keep showing up. And the other thing was start learning your shit. Like, you know, <laughs> like start like understanding what the hell what you're, what you're selling, talking about. Right. Yeah. You just can't be a promoter. Like you got to understand it. So I started to learn it. Like I started reading all the statutes on tax liens. I went to all the auctions. I talked to all the real estate attorneys. I went and visited the properties. I, you know, talked to my neighbors at these properties that we own the tax liens on and it became pretty knowledgeable where I can talk somewhat intelligently with the investors. And fortunately for me, the, the, those deals worked out really well. Like we didn't lose $1 for one client back in the preferred tax liens, uh, syndications, but you know, it was like, I don't know, what's that guy's name with the public speaking guy, Zig Ziglar and all mm-hmm. these, all those guys, like you just keep getting up there, just keep doing it. And eventually I stopped sweating and eventually I, you know, stopped looking down at my shoes and eventually I like, okay, I'm comfortable talking to you and pitching you a business or a service. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoy people. I think I just enjoy people and I'm a social creature. I just had surgery last week and I've been sort of tied up at my house for a week, not leaving my house. And I'm realize how crazy I go. I mean, I just like sitting on the couch, can't leave. And I'm like, I'm a people person. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people that love solitude love because they can spend the rest of their life by themselves. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. And so repetition, you know, solves many, many things. How did you think about, you know, when to close or when to ask for the money in, in relationship giving? Because sometimes you might have product. Sometimes, you know, these were warmer. I mean, you needed to build trust before you've actually returned capital, right? And then mm-hmm. you had to start somewhere. So where did you come? Um, when did you kind of figure out how you thought about pipeline and, you know, inter- getting introduced to somebody to actually saying, hey, like, I want you in? It's interesting you bring that up because I remember vividly at preferred tax liens and even employee solutions, raising capital in my early twenties. Like I would create the story, paint the picture, get excitement and then just go away. And I would not ask for the money or the clothes. Mm -hmm. And then I remember like we started getting to some pickles at employee solutions and at preferred tax liens. Like where's the money? Like Mm -hmm. we can't, we can't do this (laughs) if we don't have the money. And so it's like, okay, I need to start asking for the money. So I started figuring out how do I do that? And one of the ways is I started to tell people that in the preferred tax liens instance, my mentor at the time, Marv, uh, was investing his own money and he was behind the product and recommending it to his clients. Mm -hmm. And he was a credible, very credible tax attorney in town, Mm -hmm. like probably one of the top tax attorneys in town. Mm -hmm. So that lent me credibility. So here's not this 21 year old punk just having his hand out trying to raise money. Now Marv is sort of my mentor, sponsor, and an investor of mine, and he's it added and lended credibility. Social proof. Social proof, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is way before the internet, so it's right. like, you know, it's literally showing up with a book and like, here, read this book, you mm-hmm. know, but I'm giving you this private placement memorandum and I'll, you know, tell you about how, uh, how I can make you money. And then eventually you built a track record and it's easy. You know, mm-hmm. once you have a track record, you're like, hey, I bought 100 hundred, uh, properties and I returned all the capital for those hundred properties. Mm-hmm. I didn't foreclose on one. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, yeah, that's an easy sell. Yeah, And you have a reputation. People are talking about you. Right. But I'm re- and, you know, reputation's everything, mm-hmm. you know, reputation's everything. And I think if you went back to my first 40 investors that preferred tax lanes, I mean, half of them are probably dead, but I think the majority of them would say, yeah, I'd invest with Todd again. Mm-hmm. Didn't lose money. Good guy. You know, maybe a little braggadocious and annoying at times, but you know, you know, <laughs> I didn't lose money. So not a bad guy. 
So, you know, if all those deals would have gone bad, I mean, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today doing what I'm doing. So, right. And then how do you, how do you translate into going into kind of venture and starting canal partners? It just sort of happened. Uh, I think just naturally by funding a bunch of companies. So after I sold my position in employee solutions, like I said, I, uh, I seeded and co-founded, uh, NetTime Solutions, Raw Sushi, MD Labs, uh, Monterey Pasta, uh, which was a public company. So I just, deal flow just started coming to me. Mm-hmm. This is back in the late 90s where there just wasn't a lot of capital in Phoenix. Yeah. Like if you could raise $2 million in Phoenix for, for a growth startup, can't. you were like, I mean, you got to call that guy. You know, mm-hmm. That guy can get you 2 million bucks. Like nobody was worth 20 million bucks back in 97, 98. Right. You know, it's like, if you can raise 2 million bucks, you were a hero in this town. And um, so I think I was one of the 20 people that people called when they wanted their pitch a growth equity investment. And it wasn't necessarily technology. You know, there was mostly non-tech, but there was, you know, like net time and a couple tech deals in there, but most of them were non-tech. So I think it was just sort of a smaller universe, smaller uh, number of people to call. And they knew I was uh, able to put money in. And, and I started syndicating early. It wasn't just like, I wrote all the money. It was like, okay, Todd puts in a hundred thousand and he gets four of his friends to put in 400,000 and there's a $500,000 seed round. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny, like how the bare bone necessity, like we try to like complicate it and, you know, you select this investor for this reason and that investor for that reason. But really at the end of the day, it's a supply and demand curve and you could bring together capital, right? You you were involved in formation of capital through a network here and you supplied it to people that were looking for, for capital. And, and really that, I mean, God, man, I mean, I couldn't imagine what it was like in 2008, but in 2015, when I started in this business was a totally, <laughs> totally different. Yeah. Well, the internet changed a lot because you can do a lot more research. You can find out about people. You can, you know, back in pre-internet days, you know, sort of pre 2000, it was like, maybe you hire an attorney to do background checks and, you know, ask for tax returns and things. But like nowadays you can, you can really vet people a lot more than you can. I mean, just going to their LinkedIn and calling people, you can find out a lot about people. But back then it was like, it it was a leap of faith. It was trust. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you can get burned, you know, you can get burned. I mean, I've been burned, you know, plenty of times in my career by people. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if it does, if a deal goes bad, fine. But if you get burned, I say that's on me you mm-hmm. know, because I'm the one who's supposed to vet it and do the due diligence to make sure no one's stealing or doing anything that's unscrupulous or unethical. Mm-hmm. And then, so deals going bad. Yeah, that, that, that happens. Um, and then when you're in a syndicate function, which we both are, we're not in the fund business. How, how do you, how do you relay failure? Right. And because they don't have the diversification risk. And how do you go about doing that? I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I hate it. Even though they say bad news first, good news second. I, I'm still an optimist, optimist guy, half glass full. I mean, this thing could be on life support and I'll be like, there's still hope. We're still going to make money. It's Dude, like, no one's more you know, excited than they are now. Yeah, Everyone's like, pumped up. It's like Edoras light posts. Like the things literally like the doctor's like, turn off the fucking machine. Yeah. Put a pillow. Yeah, over the head. I mean, yeah. this thing ain't coming back. You know, this guy's got, he's going, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm like, no, we're going to do it. One more round, you know, right. one more new CRO, one more product, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's probably why I'm not a great operator is because I am the ultimate sales guy and CRO mm-hmm. that just wants to promote 
and high five each other and like, let's get excited. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have other people's money, you got to be a little bit more careful. You know, mm-hmm. it's your own money, do whatever the hell you want. But when you have right. other people's money, I think you got to keep them informed of what's happening. Like, look, this thing's probably nine out of 10, not going to make it. But if it does make it, that one out of 10, this capital is going to get paid very well on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just honesty and transparency. And people appreciate that. I mean, I invest in a lot of different funds. I don't want the guy that's going to give me all the great news and never give me bad news, you know? So there was a, um, there was a, a blog article I, I read recently where they looked at all the transcripts from Warren Buffett's uh, annual investor meeting, which is, you know, a hallmark event every right. single year. Everyone goes. There is nobody who's got a better brand than Warren Buffett. And they found that the, that like the, um, the amount of times that he says that I've been mistaken is infinite, right? There's just, there's ton, thousands and thousands and thousands of references. And no one looks at him as being dumb. Right. <laughs> right. They appreciate that and respect it. And, and he's humble. Like, I mean, the guy totally. who's not humble, who says he's never lost money in a deal, don't walk, run yeah. from that guy. Yeah, yeah that Run. Guy, that, that guy is a full of shit. You know, and I've heard that from real estate guys and, and guys in the early, you know, seed seed world are like, oh yeah, I, I, I very rarely use money or I never lose money. I'm like, okay. That guy's, mm-hmm. first of all, he's a liar. So you should like right. run. Right. And, you know, it just, it, it breeds trust. Right. It breeds a level of humility because guess what? Everyone's had failure in their life at some point and can relate to it. Yep. Right. And have been humbled. But you've had some some success that wasn't humbling, especially in the beginning uh, of Canal Partners. Right. You've had some hallmark wins. So tell me what that was like. It was a lot of fun. I mean, when Jim and I were there before you got there at Canal Partners, I mean, first of all, we were like the only game in town. It was like, you know, maybe a couple angel groups and a couple high net worth individuals. But as far as a real, like a firm, there wasn't really a, you know, Greyhawk was sort of up market a little bit. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of competition. So I think when we got a look at a good deal, it was like, we got it, you know, whether it was by PT or, you know, in that time or, you know, a- any deal that was like um, a pretty decent deal like didn't have a lot of competition where now, if you have like a million or 2 million of ARR and you're got phenomenal KPIs, you could be in Yuma, by the way, yeah, you could be in Yuma. <laughs> you're going to get found, right? Like people are going to find you mm-hmm. back then. People didn't find them. And I remember like Jim and I negotiating with the web PT deal and, and we're like, no, we need a participating preferred They're like, oh, okay. You know, $3 million pre money, you know, two and a half times ARR. And they're like, all right. I mean, today you like laugh at those terms, right? Right. But at the time that was the market, right? Like there just, there wasn't a market to understand what's traditional. So, um, we had a lot of success and did a lot of great deals. I think looking back, we probably should have shut down and closed some deals earlier than being the eternal optimist. Cause I think Jim and I maybe had this God complex where we thought we can turn everything around mm-hmm. and things would just turn around. Mm-hmm. But looking back, it's like no one to fold them. Like that old Kenny Rogers song. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to know when to fold them and mm-hmm. preserve capital and not throw, you know, good money after bad. Yeah. You know, that would, that would be my lesson is like the four or five deals that went under probably could have saved that second or third round by just not going back in and saying, you know what, this one's just not a, it's not a runner. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Cause I find the ones that work, it's like, it's beautiful. It's like so art. Yeah. I mean, you're at board meetings and you're like, wow, this is amazing. They just crushed it. You're like, you don't even want to offer advice because they're just doing so well. 
but the ones that don't do well, it's like you're constantly trying to like figure out and fix all these issues. Mm-hmm. And so, so do you believe in power law? In what? Power law. Essentially that there's one deal to outlive every other one of the deals. Um, the typical venture capital model where, you know, you have one that's the winner that beat, makes the fund. I mean, that's not my model, but, uh, you know, I've probably done 26 deals in my career, somewhere between 25 and 30 is probably my guess. Um, and I've definitely had, had plenty of, of failures, but, um, I haven't had a hundred X or, you know, 50 mm-hmm. X. I think the largest multiple was like web PT and it was still under 20 X. So not necessarily, you know, the typical venture model, uh, in that sense, but these days I'm looking for preservation of capital. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I'm looking at a deal now where we probably spend 20% of our time discussing this deal on the downside. Like if this thing does blow up, they can't raise more capital. We have to liquidate it. Can we get our million dollars back? Mm-hmm. And we, we discuss that. Mm-hmm. Most VCs aren't discussing that. Right. You know, so I'm discussing that. How does it look if it blows up? We got to fire the CEO. We shut it down. What, what can we sell? What's the value here? Mm-hmm. Almost like a turnaround guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, there's plenty of upside. There's no doubt we can make 30 times our money in this deal. But there's a lower probability. Up, yeah, it does, if, if it blows up, how do we get our million bucks back? Mm-hmm. It's almost like the stage fund guys and all these turnaround guys. I start thinking like that as well as the, the growth equity guys. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it's a hybrid now is where I'm kind of at in my life. It sounds like so. Yeah, know. I seem to always veer towards the downside, which is good. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, if you, if you can, if you're if your losers are getting half your money back, that's a win. Like most VCs are like not going to spend the time or Dude, energy. Getting your money you know? back in a hard time is like, I mean, I, I like that more than I get five X. Right. right. I mean, that's just like, do you know how hard I work to get it's this hard. fucking money back? It's hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. When a deal does not go well, getting your money back is very difficult. And if you even get 50% of your money back, it's like, it's a win. Yeah. You know? And generally it's because of your effort as a board member. Right. <laughs> right. As opposed to the other way where like, you really don't do shit. And right. well, most VCs, if yeah. it doesn't work, just write it off, move right. on. Right. Like they're not going to spend time on that. Right. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's funny because I don't know if it's, I think spending the time on it is one thing. What I've learned also is that the mentality is you can only lose one times your money, but like your reputation matters. And so generally when things go sideways or go down, friction happens with the founder. Right. <laughs> typically, yeah. you know, and they're always looking out for their reputation with founders. And, you know, all it takes is one founder to say, Oh, he's a shitty, you know, VC, you know, he told me what to do. You know, he, you know, to told me to, to cut my salary or to fire this person. And founders listen to other founders more than they listen to, to investors. Um, so I've noticed that kind of happened too. They kind of been like, oh yeah, well do what you want to do, you know, but you know, they know it's going to be a zero or they know that it's going to be a, a, not a huge outcome for them, but they just don't want to rock the boat too much. Yeah. I don't think canal partners, you know, worried about that too much. <laughs> no, no, no. no. So, you know, I we think, were a bloody chainsaw. It's like, we're going to, you know, chainsaw Al, you know, the old, the old mythical CEO that, that used to chair hacksaw uh, Al or whatever they called him. But you know, Jim had that attitude, like, Hey, if this is not our guy, we're getting rid of him. It doesn't matter how we're getting rid of him. And I, and I agree with that. Like mm-hmm. you can't, once you stop believing in a CEO and stop believing in his ability and especially on ethics and morals, like you, you have to do that yesterday, not today. Mm-hmm. And there's no like treading nicely and being nice. It's like, no, 
we got our money in this business. This guy needs to leave yesterday, period. It's like an abusive relationship. Like totally. get to a shelter, like right. don't stay in it. But the problem with that is, is if you're willing to do that, you are essentially taking ownership of the cap table. No question. Yeah. And no like, question. you have to be willing to do that. And right. you know, like underwriting the business at that given time. Yeah. Because founder equity, um, this is why venture capital works, right? Is that the founders are incredibly incentivized to work hard, yep. right? And for if, way below market salary. For way before market salary, they give a shit more than anybody else. And we've had our experience in bringing in hired guns. Yeah, and it's just not the same. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Usually. <laughs> yeah, usually. usually. Yeah. yeah, there's every once in a while you hire somebody, you know, we've had some of those too where it's worked out great. Sure. You know, but um, most hired guns, it's a paycheck. Yeah. And a cush job typically because yeah. we're not all over them. You right. Know? Right. And, you know, they, we hired them because they were the expert and, you know, they. And they don't give you the bad news first. They give you the good news first and this, and then they give you the good news second. Right. You know, (laughs) and it's like, wait, where's the bad news? Oh, everything's going great. Right. Oh, by the way, we need another couple million bucks. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, okay. I can't, I can't work like this. I need, I need leaders. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it is, it is hard to turn the ship for sure. on founders. I do agree with that. You know, we have a couple situations now where I think the founders are phenomenal founders, but they're maybe not the right CEO at 5 million of ARR. Totally. Yeah. You know, and it's like, how do you have that conversation when they don't want to leave? Like they're yeah. so in the seat and they love it, but it's maybe not their skill set at five. Maybe it was at zero. Totally. And it's like, you know, but you got to have the conversation if you feel it, if, yeah. you, if that's what you believe. No, totally. You know, it's funny. It's, um, people always talk about founder friendly and, you know, I just call it sometimes business stupid, right? You know, and not, I, I, uh, there's a, there's a thing about founder incentive that it's, it's not that you, you want to oppose them because it's their baby and it's the wrong thing to do. And they put so much irk, then you're not a good partner. It's the fact is, is that like, you just get more juice from them in a period. Right. And I, I listen, man, I don't want to, I don't want to fucking bankroll. I mean, these companies have way too much risk, right. For you to be the bankroll, you know, and we've been in situations where it's totally not worked and we've put it made situations that we made money and, yeah. did, and did good. At, right. So there's not a right or wrong answer to that. I don't think. But you, you can't become emotionally attached. That's the key. Totally. And I think we became emotionally attached where we felt like we owned it. It's our kid. We yeah. were responsible for that. Totally. It's our baby. And Good looking back, I would say you can't do that. Yeah. It has to, you have to be unemotional, unattached and look at it objectively. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Um, and then when you're trying to get in these higher guns, they're just, they're just not like no one good is going to come work for a shitty startup. Right. I mean, yeah. like, like no, like no real person is going to do that. You know, um, we got lucky, you know what I mean? And it's one occasion, I think, yeah. you know, maybe more in your career, but, um, no, it's true. It's, you know, you're, you're betting on the founder. I mean, I say it's the founder first, it's the idea and the business second, you know? And, uh, like in my current portfolio, my, my, uh, best company in my portfolio is, is a founder that if he wasn't there, like, fuck, I'd be like, I'm like scared shitless. Like, mm-hmm. oh, and I wouldn't be sleeping, but just knowing he's the founder and CEO and he's in the seat and he thinks about the, he called me last night, uh, two nights ago at 9 PM, my time he's in New York. That's midnight. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I'm just leaving the office. I could hear him like going to the subway. Like, mm-hmm. like 
I mean, what hired gun's going to be at the office no. till midnight? No. <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> no. And he's making 20% of what he can make in the market. Right. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, you can't replace that, you no. know? And, and, and especially these middle-aged guys, there really is an opportunity cost because they're getting great benefits. They could be housing money away. And there's only, you're only going to live so long. I mean, if you're young, who gives a fuck, right? right. Sometimes you'll get paid more at a startup by getting funded by than you would normally, you know, at a job. Yeah. So there's a lot to be said with keeping that founder in as long as possible. Um, but when, when you just can't keep them in anymore, whether it's ethics, morals, you know, just a terrible CEO, I mean, you got to make a move. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing your investors a disservice. Otherwise, it's the spray and pray model. You're just like, hey, I'm going to throw a bunch of money out and hope it works. You know, you're, you're not literally doing anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So in the meantime, you, we've had some time, we've, you know, and then David Paul comes in, we do some deals, we turn around, we turn around one of the companies, we shut down two companies, I believe at that time. And then, um, Jim, our partner decides to retire. Right. And you went off and started Brookstone. So tell me about Brookstone. How's it alike? How's it different than Canal Partners? Uh, pretty similar, except I really do miss David Paul on my team. (laughs) You brought a sense of uh, professionalism and intelligence and due diligence uh, and a perspective to the canal that I I definitely miss at Brookstone for sure. Um, So I kind of feel like we're riding a little without a saddle uh, at times at Brookstone, but um, it's a similar model. It's sort of one to three million of early stage capital. Uh, typically it was SaaS, but now in the last couple of years, it's like, it's not necessarily SaaS. It could be tech enabled. It could be services. Mm-hmm. I mean, we put a million bucks in a company called Wing that is a virtual assistant company. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not something we probably would have done at, at Canal. So, um, you know, it, it's, um, it's a little bit more than what we did at Canal. Uh, I mean, we're opening the... The, the, the boundaries. So we're not just on SaaS. We're working like we when you first money. It's kind of like where you first started your business. Yeah, exactly. It's all growth capital. Yeah, it's growth capital. And it's not, it's not necessarily SaaS or just software. It's, you know, I mean, we're looking at a pickleball company now, putting in a million dollars in, in a pickleball company, nothing to do with, you know, tech. Um, so we are starting to look at non-tech deals, but I won't do consumer product deals. We have one consumer product deal in our company that actually is doing okay, but like, I just can't, it just gives me too much anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know? totally. It's like, they need money every single day. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> I just can't, I just yeah, can't, you I know? know? So I'm, um, you know, service companies, tech enabled, um, you know, potentially a high margin product company. Um, but again, it comes down to the founders, the structure, the organization, what's working, you know, like looking at this and like, Hey, they got to a million of revenue with no capital, how can we replicate this? Or are they going to screw it up when they get capital? They're going to mm-hmm. hire all these middle management people that are going to do nothing and just balloon the expenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I've heard of this pickleball. It's pretty fun, right? It's, I mean, I'm addicted. <laughs> I'm addicted. Yeah. I, I literally can play every day. I can play every day. It's so much fun. So what's in the future for you? Uh, so I'm 56. I turned 56 a couple days ago. And, uh, my partner is 62 my other partner is 45, but going on 70 and, you know, everyone's semi-retired. So it's like, we don't need to like work eight to five every day. We work smartly. So when there's an opportunity and we think it's, uh, it's appropriate, 
we will go forward and fund a deal. But we're not looking at deals all day. We're not trying to stay busy to stay busy. We're just trying to be opportunistic. And right now there's five companies in the portfolio. And I don't ever see us getting beyond six or seven. Mm -hmm. You know, if one sells, maybe we'll do another one. But, you know, it's sort of a lifestyle business, you Mm -hmm. know, like a small family office lifestyle business that I love. And I'm trying to bring my son into the business now. And he's a senior at ASU. So he's going to board meetings. He was at the Blue Tail board meeting today and he's learning. So I would love for him to come into it. And really it's about managing money. You know, like where's the opportunity? You know, if the stock market crashes 30%, you shouldn't be talking to me about investing in early stage SaaS. You should be talking to me like, where do we put money in the stock market now? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what GARP companies in the stock market are trading at a fraction of their true value, historic mm-hmm. value. Like, so it's all opportunistic, you know, where, where do we put money? It's like Soros says, I don't care where I'm putting money. I'm putting money for risk capital. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, he bet the farm on silver and made a fortune. He bet, you know, so it's like, where, where's the opportunity? And there's some things I won't touch. Like, I don't care where crypto goes, high or low. It's just something I'm not capable of assessing. Mm-hmm. But I can look at public companies and you and I have talked about some public companies that are really trading at historically low valuations. Like, and if you have a three to five year time horizon, I think you're going to make a lot of money where you can give me a million dollars to put into early stage SaaS, but the risk profile is completely different Mm -hmm. than buying, you know, some of the companies we've discussed. But it's not sexy. It's not sexy and (laughs) you don't have to control and I I don't get the fees. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff you don't like. Right. But you know, I always look at where would I put my own money? Like if I can't Mm -hmm. put my own money in my own deals, I shouldn't be asking my totally. friends and family for their money. If it's you know? not, if it's not a full body, yes, right. Yeah. Like, I, and, and most VCs have less than one percent of the partnership, yeah. right? I mean, their GP is one percent. Uh, I mean, unless you're really wealthy, and like, I can't ask my friends to put money in if I got twenty five grand the deal. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, we're raising two million, but I'm putting twenty five thousand in. Yeah, it's just I, not fair. Totally. And I feel like I've, I missed out on a lot, a lot of opportunities because they didn't fit my box. How do you think about biases, right? Like wanting to sit on board. You've changed your biases, right? And now yeah. we had to sit on boards. Right. We had to price rounds. We had know, a lead. We had a lead. You we know, had to run how, the documents. Yeah. How did you? How do you think about that now with Brookstone? I'm a lot more relaxed. Yeah. I do like that model. Um, I am on one, two, three boards and I might be going on a fourth because one of the other board members is going on paternity leave. So I might go on a fourth, but it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, like that wing assistant, I'm on on a board. I have a very good relationship with the founders. I talk to them every week. We go to dinner once a month and I get financials. Um, The only issue is if you have a real problem with the business or founders, there's not as much as you can do if you're not on the board or, or leading the round or or the majority of the, yeah. of the series. Right? right. So it does matter if you need to remove the CEO or change up the, the founders, you know, that that's where it really yeah, matters. Or like, you know, accepting a large amount of capital where it helped, you know, it prevents you from getting out. Right. I mm-hmm. feel like that is something that can happen. Right. If you take on too much money and you know, you as you know, taking a real deep look and yeah, it could be a great valuation, but this business isn't worth that. You know? Well, you know, that's funny. You mentioned that because I just got out of a board meeting and the last half hour of the board meeting, we discussed raising capital. And then one of the other board members goes, well, hold on. Before we discuss raising capital, what do we think we can possibly sell this business for? 
Like let's, let's use a middle to stretch case and then let's discount that to a current round. And even though we can get a good valuation today, are we just screwing ourselves? Yeah. Like, okay, we feel good. We got a great valuation, but now we can never sell the business unless it really grows. Right. So I don't think a lot of boards think about it like no. that. And which is really fascinating because how are you going to get out and raise a new fund if you can't get out of these deals? Right. 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 And well, you're seeing that now, like all these last funds are like in tons of deals and they're not getting out of them. Mm-hmm. They're like stuck. Yeah. Cause the valuations aren't there. Yeah. I think like it's, that happens a lot in vertical SAS. Like, you know, you, you, you invest in a couple million bucks, but you don't get to that point where you can take secondary and it's like, fuck, like how do I get an A done? You know, can I get a small A done? Can we just, convince some schmucks to put on a note. <laughs> you know what I well, mean? that's why, you know, when you, you, Jim and I had canal, I loved that, you know, maybe it was our motto or a tagline, but like we are conservative capital. Like we are not your typical VC. Like we want the founders to own the majority of the business upon an exit. Yeah. We don't want you to continue to raise money. We want you to like give a little bit of growth capital, hit the gas, try to get it five, six, seven, eight X your current revenue. Mm-hmm. And then let's get some liquidity. Yeah. yeah. And we want to buy some of your stock if you need money. Right. Right. Like that's, that's yeah. Kinda- and let's run this, you know, slight loss, break even, but not like, let's not start burning 500 grand a month and hope it all works out. Totally. Like, so I liked our model and it's, it's, it was different. I mm-hmm. think it's becoming more common today, but mm-hmm. it was definitely different at the time. Safe notes versus priced equity. Oh, I hate safe notes. They should be illegal. Yeah. The SEC, SEC should make them illegal. I've been so screwed on safe notes. Yeah. And uh, luckily I had good founders that made it right, but boy, mm-hmm. they could have screwed me. Yeah. I, I thought I was, I think I'm smart. I thought I was smart. And I'm like doing these safe notes going, yeah, 12 million pre. And then when they do the A round, it's like, wait a minute, that 12 million pre is now 18 million. Yeah. Wait, how'd that happen? Right. <laughs> you right. know? So yeah. I didn't think of all the potential you know, situations, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I really won't do a safe. And if you force me to do one, it's definitely a post money safe for sure mm-hmm. without taking any risk because right. I'm not doing pre money safes anymore, but Even do still. a price equity. I mean, I'll, if you're like doing 500 grand or less, yeah, maybe do a safe. But right. if you're doing like a million dollar round, do a priced round. Yeah. You know. No, exactly. Especially if you're putting in a million, right? Yeah. I think that, that 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 deserves a little bit more respect. Yeah, and you got no rights. Like you have a safe, you, you don't even have an instrument. Like you no. have a future promise to, yeah. you know, like you're not you're not you don't have any rights. You know, I was saying like there's a deal that we're in now and it's like the safe holders, like it doesn't even convert. There's not like a pref, like if it converts before like if you have to sell it before it goes. Yeah, it's like, like what do you really have? You, you have know? nothing. <laughs> you just like, get your money back, no interest, no principal, not like a preferred like anything. Yeah. yeah I, so you're with me on the safe. Like, I'm with you on the safe. Yeah. No more safes. Yeah. No more safes. I did, a, I did, a, I did a convertible once and it didn't turn out too bad. So I just stepped out for a bathroom break. This is very reminiscent. How'd it of, go? By it, the way. It, it, I used to say like, no one goes to the bathroom more than me. And then I met you <laughs> and I'm like, between the two of us, I honestly think we're doing like 30 to flushes a day in the canal office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. 30 flushes a day. Yeah. By the way, how great was that office? The, the old Fred Unger office. I, know. I mean, that was which one? The one on the third floor? The the last one that we were in. I yeah. mean, how amazing is that office? That was great. That was a great office. Did we get out of that lease? Like, how did we, we did? He, well, he had someone, and then apparently they didn't move in, so we got lucky. But yeah, we got out. Uh, yeah, I mean, we had like a five year lease on that thing, it was and it probably, was not cheap. No, it was like ten grand a month, wasn't it? It was expensive. Yeah. Beautiful office. Those socials were great on those mm-hmm. patios, and yeah. Mm-hmm. I miss the um, the office the, the the original office. Yeah, we're next to where you are now. Yeah, next yeah. to where I am now. 
I always had a dream of going and taking that office back over. One yeah, day. it was a cool office. I mean, with the kitchen and I mean, originally it was a model for townhome back in 2000 when they were building these brownstones around here and they just, with the crash, they never built them. So they just kept that office, but that was like the model for the, for the brownstones, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, it was a great office, the big screen, the big war room in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Geo-focused funds. Arizona, not light on capital anymore. No, no. There's a lot of a lot of local funds that have a lot of capital. So, what do you think? I think it's great for the founders, entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're if you got a business, either pre-revenue or even in revenue, um, and you got a good team and a good product, good business, like you're going to get funded. Mm-hmm. You know, um, which you know, brings up a whole nother question. Like if you can't get funded here and you've talked to everyone, like, do you have the right business? You know? Um, but there's a lot of capital. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars focused on Arizona now, hundreds of millions, you know, pre-revenue and, and early revenue. Um, not sure how it's going to turn out for the LPs. We'll see. Do you think Arizona deserves this amount of capital? I think it's a lot of capital for Arizona. Yeah. I think it's a lot of capital to digest. That capital hasn't been returned. Right. Or like it's, that capital, it's new capital. Yeah, that capital was not made in tech, yeah, right? It's new capital. And I think time will tell. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how the returns are for this. Um, I think for them to make it work and have decent returns, they got to pile in a lot of money into the winners. So like when they know they have something that's going to 20 million of ARR, like a virtuous or, you know, something that paradox that's like, Mm -hmm. that's like certainly on its way to 20 million. Like they got to stuff as much money as possible in there and get in deep because if they spray and pray and do 50 companies, I mean, it's not going to work. If they do 15, 20 companies and like go in deep on the winners, like Mm -hmm. and just figure out how to get more money in, I think they'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ready for this? Yeah. Lightning round. Postmortems. Trannual. Should have done it. Yeah. Should have done it. But you know, (laughs) turning 8% a month, it's, it's hard to get your arms. They weren't, they weren't that bad. In the beginning, they were, they were, they were turning the whole book over every year. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. The that might, first two I, rem- revenue. I remember, actually, I do remember in tall wave, their turn was high. We're like, Very ah, high. nonprofit. Yeah. Right. Are you talking about trainable or virtuous? Um, sorry, virtuous. Okay. No, yeah. Trainable always had yeah. kind of a higher turn. Yeah. No, yeah. I was talking we're about trainable. We're going to get fucking crucified for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, by yeah, the way. Yeah. <laughs> no, virtuous was Fuck a mess. It, I'm moving. <laughs> yeah. Virtuous was a mess. I mean, we should have done it. Gabe's a phenomenal founder. Yeah. We should have done it. We and offered I, him like four times. Yeah. We gave him, we gave him a term sheet and we got blown out of the water, but yeah. that one, we, we made a go at it and didn't get it. You know? Yeah. Trainwheel, yeah, we had a look, right? And mm-hmm. we and we sent a term sheet, uh, or virtuous, virtuous we did. Yeah. Virtuous. Trainwheel, we never actually did it. You yeah. know, we never uh, tried because the turn was pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, if since then it's been been corrected or not. Um, what was some other ones? Full Bay. Full Bay, we gave them a ter- I think we gave them a good term sheet. I think yeah. we were just under 20 million. It's like, you can't go much more than that for a $4 million business. For us, you know, and they got like double our valuation. Right? That was a yeah. small, that was a small TAM. Yeah. That, that was a small TAM with like, and their like gross churn was higher. Yeah. Right. And, um, and not a very big team, like a very thin team. Yeah. Which we loved. Yeah. I mean, he burnt hardly anything. Yeah. He was very conservative. He was, um, he was a good guy. I could have backed yeah. that guy. Yeah. I mean, we obviously would have made money there, I think, but um, actually I don't even know. I don't know how they're doing now, but yeah. um, you know, that was one that we get, we gave again, we 
we were playing in valuations from five years before when we were issuing the term sheet. Mm-hmm. So like we were, you know, five years, our predecessor on valuations and we weren't at the times, but you can't always be at the times. Like if you miss, you miss, it's fine. Yeah. Like we saw it, we saw it. Paradox. Never could have got that, got that deal. Did you No, we, he, we had an opportunity. I know, but I just, Remember, I just, we, I, it was you and me and we took that pitch. I just couldn't get my arms around the guy was the an founders. asshole. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just there's no way. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, like, like, we would have gotten fucked somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but well, it's the, like on the, the note, the uh, the uh, virtual uh, what the hell's the name of the company? Proctoria. Proctoria. Right. The virtual, you know, proctoring. Yeah. Um, same thing. Like, right. We had to look at it. We actually were. We were, I think we had a sign term sheet. We did. We, did. <laughs> we had something. A sign term on. sheet. Yeah. You know, and it's like we just didn't get that deal done. But again, when you don't paid, have a... Did we pay like 20 grand in legal or something? I think we did. Like something like insane. We had a sign term no, sheet. We, we had docs. We negotiated to buy the founder right. stock and the founder would not even talk. The, the excommunicated founder wouldn't yeah. even talk to the CEO. We did him we a brokered fucking the deal. favor. Yeah. We brokered the deal. We made it available for him to buy that stock. Right. And I was like, you know what? He's going to... He's, he's, he's a mensch. He's going to do the right thing and just throw us 5% of the company for right. doing that. I'm still waiting for the stock. Yeah. I'm still waiting. I think he eats at your restaurant. He, so. All the time. All the time. And I, and I think one time he says, I'm giving you 5%. I, I'm still waiting for the stock certificate. Yeah. <laughs> but I broke it a deal where those two were never talking to each other the rest yeah. of their lives, you know, and, um, Teddy. That's uh, his name. Teddy. Yeah. yeah. Teddy. Teddy. You were God, negotiating Teddy. with Teddy. I was on the phone with those guys all the time. <laughs> How about the one in Chicago that we uh, didn't get done in the restaurant space? Sally. Yeah. Yeah. Did that turn out okay? It's like 10 to 12 million now. But, oh, wow. But it, it, I mean, that was, they're on the SMB side and that they're churning pretty hard. You know what I mean? And it's a lot of things. I mean, this is the one lesson is that if it's not, you know, at least a thousand dollars a month of, you know, ARPU of software spend, like, it's going to get pulled out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you need to have something that's good enough to, where people are going to spend real money on it. Right. Yeah. Um, what else? So what are you going to do? Uh, are you going to focus more on the Southern California market or are you going to well, still stay Arizona, Southern Cal? Some news. Um, so now that Todd mentioned it, uh, I am moving uh, to San Diego from Phoenix. And yes, I'm still going to cover Phoenix. I'm, you know, I've, I've always been kind of a San Diego. I've always still covered it, but you know, I think that got kind of a little frothy too, but I think it's going to come back down. Do you think valuations are, are lower in Arizona than Southern Cal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even with all the capital here? Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I think there's more institutional seed capital here now, but they've been slow to deploy. Right. So um, like scores be just officially finished. And, you know, I mean, I, I, there's a when lot finished, like raised his fund. Yeah. $25 I mean, million dollar fund. Correct. Yeah. And so like before that, I mean, he was doing, I think he was doing like one offs. Right. And so now he's got a cadence, right. That he has to do. Um, and a, a B, you know, VCs hundred plus hundred plus. Yeah. AZVC and AVC. They didn't talk to each other before they branded. Yeah. Um, right. And, yeah, no, so I'm, I'm looking, but it's, it's funny. It's like, it's just like you said, you know, platforms matter to the point solutions. Now mm-hmm. you got to find something with really good ACV or else it's really hard to make money. And, um, you know, people don't really want to buy SaaS anymore. You really have to have a really unique offering. Do you feel pressured to get a deal done? If like, 
six months go by, a year go by, and you're like, I haven't got a deal done. I haven't got a deal done. Do you start to like break your mold of what you're looking for just because you feel emotionally you have to get a deal done? 100%. Yeah. Like, yeah, at least like I, I don't necessarily break it, but I start to break it in my head, right? You know, and like, it's like, um, like, oh, this is okay. Oh, this, you know, you start to like make it excuses. Right. Or, or the deal kind of is, is shitty, but the valuation's good. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, it's, it's growing, but the sector sucks, you know, whatever it is, it's like, I still haven't done a deal in a year. Right. And I just, but then it's like, part of me is just like, you know, if you did have a fund, like you, I feel like this is not, you can't index. Right. But I also feel like even if you do all the work, right. And you do all, sometimes things just don't work out, you know, and it's hard to catch that indulgence. You know, like there is a level of luck in this business. But um, this has been fun. Yeah, thanks. I uh, lost my bet to my wife, so uh, I appreciate that. And happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Big birthday. Big 39. You got one more year in your 30s. Yeah. Enjoy it. Gonna have a blowout on the 40. Yep. Um, Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like it, please subscribe. Tell a friend. We drop an episode every Tuesday. And um, cancel me. Do Do something to... Bring me down because I've got a big attention need insecurity problem. So <laughs> just attack me. Do do something. Just notice me. Stir it up. Yeah. <laughs> Stir it up. Anyway, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.